The other night after the writer's chat, somebody asked me a question. How can I better plot out? How can I better create my horror story? And I sat down and it occurred to me in that second that, you know, I hadn't really ever laid out horror plotting conceptually and instructively in any kind of free space. There's uh, a few odds and ends about horror over on my Patreon, but there's nothing really like one singular thing I can just hand to people. So let this audio be that. Let this audio be me walking you through how to shape and craft a horror plot, whether we're talking about monster horror, slasher horror, just scary horror, something like that. Let's talk about how to plot it today. First and foremost, your big thing here, your big need when it comes to horror is understanding that it's all about tension and relief of that tension. Now, that tension doesn't just mean tension in a scene. It means tension throughout the story. And there's going to be different levels, different depths, different things. It's going to be a lot of things intention, held intention, that you will relieve to varying degrees of relief here and there and a little bit over there, so that by the end of the story, all the tension has been relieved to a point where the story is satisfyingly resolved. Now, that might mean we deal with the plot. That might mean we kill the big monster. That might mean we find peace in our small valley town, whatever it is. We have to reach a point where all the tension can be relieved to a degree where the ending is satisfying. Now, that means maybe we leave the door open for a sequel, if that's the sort of thing we're talking about. But at the very least, we are talking about a kind of valve system when it comes to crafting tension and then choosing when it's best to sort of let that valve open and relieve that pressure. So, how do we build pressure? Pressure comes in two ways, comes through conflict and comes through the anticipation of conflict. Now, when I say conflict, don't immediately think fights. This isn't just like action, you know, I'm going to punch this guy and that guy's going to punch me back. It's action in the sense of people doing things, but it's not necessarily physicality. It's not necessarily combat. It's just somebody's doing something. The tension comes in from the perception of difficulty or the perception of challenge in doing that thing. If I'm talking and trying to tell you exactly how you're going to sneak out of this burning building before the monster comes and get us, the tension's in there based on your ability to navigate this and get through it. And how I describe it sets a level of challenge. Challenge and tension partner really well together. When you have very little challenge, there's not a lot of tension because the action, whatever it might be, is assumed to be pretty straightforward. It's not that big a deal, so why are we all being tense about it? This is going to be basically the engine that drives your main character or main characters, whatever character we're following through narration or point of view. This is the thing that's going to make them move. This is the thing that's going to make them do whatever. What are they doing? How hard is it? How hard do they think it is? And then how does the actual doing of the thing affect their effort? So, for instance, I have to go into a house and fight the vampire that I know is living in the house. I think it's going to be a really big deal. 
I therefore act in ways where I'm preparing for it to be a bit really big deal. And when it turns out to, in fact, be a really big deal, my level of tension has been built and that challenge comes where there's a kind of parity between the two and it feels to the reader very satisfying, very um, grounded and realistic. Even if I'm talking about fighting a vampire, there's that sense that it's as hard as I thought it was. Or maybe it's harder than I thought it was, but I'm still sort of prepared. If I just walk in blind, if I just walk into this house and I'm like, oh, da, 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 I'm in a house, no big deal, and I don't know there's a vampire, that disparity between my perception of how easy it might be to walk into a house versus the reality of, oh my God, I'm being eaten by something with teeth is substantial. And it creates a level of tension and danger, not for the character who's being eaten, because they're being eaten, but for subsequent and future iterations of interactions with the house and with the vampire. It's about building that tension. It's about building that gap or that parity between here's how hard a thing is and here's how hard we think a thing is. And then we follow the character to go do that thing. And based on their perception of the parity or disparity, we create tension, and therefore we generate horror. And if you, in the course of your exposition, build that horror up so that it is a regular perceived threat, it's always there. We can never get away from the spooky house by the graveyard. We're always thinking about the strange sounds we hear at night. We can't stop running, otherwise the monster will get us. When you create persistence with that tension and challenge, and you create more opportunities to build that tension and fewer opportunities to relieve that tension, then your horror, no matter what kind it is, stays in sort of a state of constant growth until we reach the climax of the story. I feel like the last couple minutes we've gotten really abstract, and I want to make sure this is not abstract. So let's get really, really material and really, really productive when we talk about horror. Let's start talking about horror in terms of three acts plus a climax. The highest point of tension will obviously be the climax. That's where we're going to deal with and make an effort to relieve maximum tension by resolving conflict. We're going to go fight the monster. We're going to square off against the antagonistic force. We're going to go deal with the curse. We're going to go do the big book thing, but that's down the road. For now, we're starting with the first act. However many chapters that might be, it's the first act. The first act's job, set the story up. And the first act ends when we really start doing the plot stuff. So the first act is all table setting. We're going to introduce our characters. We're going to introduce the locations and places and how the locations and places of our story operate. Here's our small town. Here are the rules. Here's a slice of life. Here's what's going on. It is not idealized. It's not like, well, here's the town before the monster started eating everyone's faces. It's a sense of this is just how things are, and this is how people feel, and this is what's going on. It's as though the reader and character we're going to follow came into this location together, came into this story together, and they're both getting acclimated at roughly the same time. This is an incredibly useful horror tool. That's why we're talking about it now. If it's an ongoing problem, then at least the reader comes to it new. The problem there is that you don't want to run into a situation where you're 
your character the reader is following is like super jaded and they've seen it all before. So you'd feel somehow you don't have to describe everything. The readers knew they need to be caught up to speed. If your characters are just like over the horror, it's not going to be really tense. So for now, let's assume that our reader and our character are roughly at the same level of discovery, discovered information. They know more or less the same. And so it's as much a surprise to one as it is to the other. And that's going to help us build and develop our tension. First act, we set the table. What's going on? Who's doing what? Why is it a big deal? What's important here? Why are we here? What do we need to know? What do we need to picture? The first act ends when the plot really begins to move forward. When, when we get a sense of like, oh, there's something going on in the house. Oh, there's somebody killing kids at the high school. Oh, there's, you know, a strange thing happens every night when the fog blows through or anytime we hear the hooting of an owl, danger strikes in the next morning. Once those conditions are established, now we've seen them maybe in the first act to sort of give us a sense of like, this is the kind of bad thing that'll happen. But it's there. And once the character goes to interface with it, once the character goes to interact with it, that's where we start moving into the second act. The second act is going to raise the tension. It's going to raise everything. It's going to raise the stakes. It's going to raise the amount of complexity. It's going to raise the challenge. It's going to raise, you name it, it's raising it. The only thing it's really maybe not raising as effectively is the amount of things being introduced. Second act yeah, you can bring more things in, bring more characters in, bring more locations in, but too many things in our story is going to slow down. There's a delicate balance to reach there, and everybody's manuscript, and everybody's going to approach it in different ways. So second act, we take what we started in the first act, and we develop the hell out of it. Add to it. More detail, more dimension, more danger, more character interaction, more dialogue, more persistent bad things so that we're building up and building up and making it more likely and, more critically, more necessary for our character to be the one to go do the thing to deal with the conflict. The second act ends when the only thing we have to do, the only reasonable answer for this is to either run away screaming and not deal with the plot or directly confront the thing that has been generating all this tension. It's time to go square off against the monster. It's time to go, you know, burn down the building. It's time to go perform the ritual. It's time to go do the thing that the plot was introducing way back at the end of Act 1, beginning of Act 2. It's time to go do that thing. In that climax, all the challenge you've suggested it to be, all the tension you've been building, it's time to work through that. It's time to lay out actions and movements and things for the character to deal with, navigate, juggle, manage, whatever. It's time to go have shit happen so that the character can start to relieve that tension through a combination of making advances, winning, doing stuff, accomplishing goals, but also losing things along the way. Yeah, I can go, you know, kill a couple goons and get, you know, get one step closer to killing the vampire. But for every goon I kill, you know, I'm getting beat up or I'm losing valuable equipment or my sidekick who I've brought with me, you know, has to die in order for me to like go get into that final room to square off against the vampire or something. If your vi character's victories don't come with a cost, and even if that cost is just time and even if that cost is just whoo that really sucked if there's no cost you're letting some of that pressure off you're you're decreasing your tension 
don't decrease the tension too much. A little bit's okay. Yeah, we get it. We we killed the old spooky librarian. It's not the main boss, but it's our, you know, it's a it's a major villain out of the way. You can relieve tension a little, and your character does need to win along the way. Accomplish things, gain knowledge, gain a, a, a beginning of an upper hand, gain momentum in making progress towards resolving the story, but too much too quickly, and it's gonna start to feel to the like to the reader as it wasn't that hard to begin with. Why is this so much of a challenge? It's really about parceling it out. It's really about understanding that you have a number of things laid out and a number of things organized in order for the character to move through a number of activities to pay things off and get things done. When we get to the climax, that inevitable conflict happens and it can be as long or as short as possible. However, the shorter it is, the faster you're relieving that tension, the less of a challenge it seems to be. If I can just rock up to the monster, you know, cut its head off and poof, we're done in like a paragraph. Why didn't I do it sooner? If we're trying to create a sense of, oh my God, this is really big. And oh my God, this is really a lot. And oh my God, it's really hard. Take your time. Multiple paragraphs, multiple pages, multiple chapters, stretch it out. Yes, it is possible to stretch it out too far, but you'll you'll see it on the page. You'll see that it's taking too long. They're, again, a balancing act, and everybody's going to balance it differently. But it is possible to balance it relative to what you're writing, how you're writing it, and what's going on. Everybody's going to do it different. You still have to do it. Once the conflict is resolved, once the climax is over, we immediately transition to that third act to resolution. Now, typically in horror, your third act is pretty brief compared to how big the second act was and how much was set up in the first act. Your third act is anywhere from, oh, everything's okay, let's move on with our lives, to, I guess, you know, I rescued the town, hooray me, or any combination thereof. That third act is short, relatively, and it is free of tension so that there can be reward and distance from that conflict. It's over now. So now the characters have to adjust to a life without that tension. If you've developed the character functionally enough, you've made them more than just the people who are doing the tension stuff. They're only cool because of the conflict. Once the conflict is gone, you're carving out, you're excising a lot of material from the character. And you've got to make sure that beyond doing the plot, your character is still a character. So fully flesh them out way back in that first act. Flesh them out over the course of the second act. Give them something more than, I'm the person who's doing the monster killing. Are they people? What are they motivated by? What are they afraid of beyond just the plot? What are they good at? What do they want to be good at? What's in their way? Why haven't they done it? What do they want? What do they need? etc, etc. All that good character stuff we talk about all the time. But it's about understanding that this character, or these characters if you have more than one, they're the only ones who can do the plot. Because if they weren't, other people would be doing the plot and the story would be different. And in order to do that, you have to tie the tension and the increase of tension or the relief of tension to their actions, to their inactions, to their goals, to their plans, to their lives. It matters to them because you're creating a level of claustrophobia for the reader. Because we could tell a horror story about, you know, the serial killer escaping from the asylum and stalking the town. We could tell that from a million different distances. But if we wanted to feel like the killer is lurking behind every single corner and every shadow can't be trusted, we have to create a sense 
a boundary and limitation in our story so that it's really up to us to worry about the character's health, safety, and existence. Because if we're just going to say broadly, oh, there's a killer in that town. Don't go to that town. There's, you know, it's bad. You'll probably die. It doesn't feel very tense. It's, in fact, kind of boring sounding. But if we create a sense of anticipation, if we generate this idea that it's a lot of could and would and maybe and who knows, more so than definite this happens, that happens, this happens, that happens, and we create the potential and the risk and the wonder of something, and I don't mean wonder in that positive, fantastic, Christmassy kind of way. I mean the wonder of like, what's over there? I heard a noise. What's that? By creating and manipulating those things through description, through exposition, through narration, through dialogue, through information parceling, the, the way you manipulate story and educate and inform the character, which therefore also educates and informs the reader, you get away from having to drop massive info dumps like, here's a wise professor who's going to tell us everything we need to know about how to kill the snake monster that lives in the basement of the high school. You want to get away from those info dumps by taking the information and parceling it out so that it comes as the result of or is the cause of some kind of challenge the character needs to overcome. In order to get detail on dealing with the monster, maybe we have to fight the monster a few times. And maybe that really goes poorly for our characters. Info dumping is a really abused tool. Like, Info dumps aren't necessarily bad. They're not automatically like delete everything and run away. But info dumps are abused because it's a contained single instance. If I just say it here and I just cover all these bases, I won't have to do it again. And I get it. I understand that thinking. But at the same time, if we just keep dropping big blocks of stuff, just read this. It's all in chapter six. The, the reader doesn't have necessarily an extra incentive to stay invested. They'll just kind of skim and start skipping because, oh, you told me everything. So all I have to do is just kind of skim ahead until I see them dealing with that information. Parcel it out better. Don't necessarily make everything come through dialogue or come through, we're going to go talk to the expert and then the expert is going to lecture us. Here's a PowerPoint presentation in the middle of our horror story. Parcel it out. Remember that rewards for challenges can be information to facilitate future story. And over time, relieve that tension and then build more tension and then relieve it and build more and build it to certain degrees and less degrees and more degrees and relieve it to different degrees. So you're never zeroing out. You know, you're gaining a little, you're losing a little. You're gaining a bit more, you're losing some more. You're, you're yo-yoing. If we're going to assign numbers to it, think about it this way. Zero is a flat story. It's not very engaging. It's just there. There's no tension. As we increase tension, maybe we go to plus two. Then we relieve it once. We go to, you know, we go to plus one. We subtract one. But then we raise the tension to plus four. Then we subtract two. Then we go up six. Then we go down three. So that we're never really going back to zero until we're at the resolution of our story. But until then, we are forever bouncing up and down, making small steps plus two, minus one, plus six, minus three, plus four, minus two, up and down and up and down and up and down. We're still skewing positive, but we're not moving in one linear plus one, plus one, plus one, plus one action or plus one slope. 
controlling that and yo-yoing that by developing certain scenes and being able to conceive of them in terms of how much tension does this add? How much challenge does this add? How much information does this add? How does this progress us along a character arc? How does it progress us along a plot? The reason why horror movies like the 90-minute horror slasher type or the 90-minute monster scary types are real light on character arc is because the space that would be normally dedicated for a character arc we're using to develop tension for our plot, for our monster, for our confrontation down the road. And that's fine. That's okay. Not everything needs to have these tremendous massive character arcs like we're, you know, writing this massive character study while also telling this incredibly scary super horror story while also developing like epic fantasy level world building. You're not going to be able to serve all those masters. That's not because you're a bad writer. It's just because the book is only so long and you can only say so much. So don't necessarily worry about creating masterful level depth with character but you do have to create more than just a plot doing functional character and that's probably a discussion for another day maybe we'll pick that up next week thank you so much for checking this out give all this some thought if you by the way if you ever have a specific question hey john how do i do this hey john how do i do that come ask me find me on twitter uh, awesome underscore john on twitter find me on um, Discord, if you're if you're a member of the Patreon. If, by the way, if you want to join the Patreon, it's patreon.com slash John Helps You Write Better. Uh, find me on any stream I'm doing, whether that's Monday night or Wednesday nights of the week. Leave me comments on YouTube channel, uh, on my YouTube channel. Really, there's loads of ways to get in touch with me or just write me an email. Uh, John Helps You Write Better at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to uh, turn a whole podcast episode into answering your question like I just did now. All right, I'll talk to you next week.